So there's evidence. There's sometimes randomized control trials. Other times there's just observational studies. Often there's both. Mm -hmm. And the evidence um, needs to somehow be integrated or or worked with um, the values and preferences of the client or the patient. Mm -hmm. There's always this interplay between, well, first let's go out and make sure that we have the best summaries of evidence. Right. um, And then... Um, working with those values and preferences for either the client or the public in order to make a recommendation. Hello, friends and colleagues. I'm Dr. Bradley Johnston, Professor of Nutrition, Epidemiology, and Health Research Methodology. And I'm Matt Miller. I'm the uh, producer of the podcast and also a curious citizen. Well, welcome, Matt. Um, This podcast, as you know, is really meant to shine light on critical thinking, or as I like to call it, systematic thinking when it comes to nutrition and nutrition science. Great. Lots of technical stuff to cover. Um, I think it's going to be fun, not just for people in my background who are, again, I think Curious Citizen is a great descriptor, but also people of your background who are uh, much more storied and experienced in the scientific method and how it relates to uh, to, to research uh, specifically for nutrition science. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the plan. Uh, really uh, conversational, hopefully, and yeah. um, lots of different perspectives from different different experts in the field or educators in the field. Yeah, that's great. I'm really excited to uh, what we're covering in this episode is really just kind of an overview of the podcast, sort of how you came up with the idea, uh, who we are, and then we'll talk a little bit, I think, about uh, sort of the guests that we're going to have on and um, some major topics that you might be covering with them. I'd love for you to kind of introduce yourself to the audience and sort of tell them a little bit more about you. Many of them are probably uh, students who might know you, but uh, also many of uh, many of them aren't. Um, so uh, you are uh, originally from Canada. Uh, can I call you a Canuck uh, on record? Is that? Of course. <laughs> yes, a proud Canuck. So you've got undergraduate and graduate training that spans the fields of kinesiology, experimental medicine, evidence-based healthcare, and clinical epidemiology and biostatistics. Um, you've got degrees from the University of New Brunswick, the University of Alberta, and postdoctoral training at Oxford University and McMaster University. Um, currently, you're based uh, at Texas A&M in College Station, um, but you've got adjunct appointments also at Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia and McMaster University in Ontario, where you've taught courses in health research methods, critical appraisal of nutrition literature, clinical trial design, and systematic review methods. Uh, you've also published over 120 peer-reviewed papers in some of the most prestigious medical and public health journals in the world, including the Journal of the American Medical Association, the British Medical Journal, the Canadian Medical Association Journal, the Annals of Internal Medicine, and the Cochrane Library. That's a pretty hefty resume you've got there, don't you think? Sure. I guess it's um, part and parcel for what, what we get up to in academia. Yeah. I consider myself as more of a kind of a blue collar guy that um, is just really driven by curiosity more than anything and, and trying to improve the methodology within different fields. More recently in the field of nutrition, uh, generally 
Um, things are done reasonably well, but there's often room for improvement sure. and uh, raising the bar. Sure. So um, a lot of my, before I arrived um, here in Texas, I kind of worked with different departments, including epidemiology and anesthesiology, kind of helping, often helping different colleagues, whether they be students or faculty members, improve the methods that they were applying to help them answer research questions. Oh, okay. Um, and so along the way, I was always doing a bit of nutrition research, but yeah. more and more, I wanted to kind of make it my primary focus. So I had mm. the opportunity to come to, to Texas and, and do that. So I'm kind of new to the game. <laughs> yeah, new, newish territory for you, but, uh, uh, but with a, a well-storied background. So I want to back up because uh, we've said this term a couple of times, epidemiology. Uh, for laymen such as myself, uh, what are we talking about specifically when we were talking about epidemiology? Sure. Great question. Well, <laughs> it's probably fair to say that epidemiology is really um, usually when you, you say that, um, at least before COVID-19, people thought, oh, are you talking about like the epidermis or skin? Yeah. Um, and it's <laughs> a little bit more, I would say a lot more recognized now. So epidemiology is essentially the, the study of health and disease. Gotcha. Um, and, and kind of trends. So, you know, just thinking about COVID-19 and right. um, how many cases we have in Texas versus how many in Illinois versus um, maybe Ontario, Canada, um, and kind of tracking that kind of stuff and, and working with public health interventions, for example, to, yeah. to try and uh, mitigate would be a, one example. And epidemiology is actually really rooted in infectious disease. That's really where it was born. Okay. Um, but then it's it's kind of creeped into all different fields, including medicine and nutrition now. And in medicine, we often call it clinical epidemiology. So the application of epidemiological principles at the bedside. Interesting. And you can also think about that um, from a nutrition standpoint. So application yeah. of epidemiological methods um, for your patient or your client um, from a registered dietitian perspective. One of the um, things that, shall we say, experts such as yourself end up uh, spending their time on is probably you have, on the one hand, you have the research, right? And then on the other hand, you have the patient, shall we say. And then, you know, how do you apply that research to the patient? Yeah, the, um, the, and that, that's a great um, kind of um, curiosity that you have, Matt. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's evidence. Ideally, when we look at the evidence for a particular question of interest, like maybe what what diet might be best for lowering blood pressure or mm -hmm. for helping um, improve your your mar your diabetic markers if, if, if you're someone that is pre-diabetic or diabetic. Sure. Um, so there's evidence. There's sometimes randomized control trials. Other times there's just observational studies. Often mm -hmm. there's both. Um, and the evidence um, needs to somehow be integrated or, or worked with um, the values and preferences of the client or the patient. So sometimes you oh. can have, sometimes you might have great evidence, yeah. um, but the client or patient may not actually value changing their lifestyle radically in order to, um, for example, reverse their diabetes. So mm -hmm. there's always this interplay between, well, first let's go out and make sure that we have the best summaries of evidence right. because it really should be the totality of evidence that we're using in order to inform either our, our patient or client recommendations and to inform the public. Um, and then 
um, working with those values and preferences for either the client or the public in order to make a recommendation. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think so important right now, uh, because when you look at uh, specifically the public and public health, you know, we've got so many diseases that either are based in nutrition or malnutrition or poor nutrition or could be reversed by uh, an application of nutrition. And I think from the curious citizen perspective, I see more and more, um, more and more research and reading on specifically how important nutrition is. So I'm not surprised that you have come to this point in your life where you're speaking about how do we find the totality of evidence and then, uh, and then how important it is to apply that to specifically public health. Yeah. And, you know, the idea, um, too, is I think we all value nutrition and diet and eating. I would say the problem is with nutrition, a lot of people almost treat it as religious. Yeah. They feel very strongly about foods and what you should and shouldn't eat. And I think the media plays a part of this. Um, people start to believe that if I just eat more of this one food, I'm going yeah. to live longer or I'm going to feel better. But sure. nutrition's very complex. You know, what's curious about nutrition is there's a lot of, I would say, students that may believe that you can make a causal inference or there's a causal relationship between food a and outcome B. Mm-hmm. But when you really look closely, I'm not sure if, if we can do that. Sure. In, in many instances. In, this, in some instances, of course, we can. It depends on a lot of different inputs. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems to me that's the, that's the challenge is there are so many different factors you have to take into account. We're eating three times a day. We're eating, as you say, we're eating uh, multiple meals, multiple types of foods with multiple nutrients. Like there are so many factors involved in just that process. Yeah. And, and it's really about, so if you're going to eat less, for example, saturated fat, what are you sure. going to replace that with? Are you replacing it with simple carbohydrates? Right. Yeah. Complex carbohydrates. Yeah. Proteins. Or are you replacing it with another type of fat, um, maybe with polyunsaturated fat or monounsaturated fat? So mm-hmm. it gets really complex really yeah. quickly. And to just assume that one nutrient causes outcome, a bad outcome, I think sometimes there's a, a little bit of um, the truth might be stretched sometimes um, sure. through the media or sometimes even through scientific papers. Oh, interesting. So I guess, and let's let's take a little bit of a, a, a right turn here. I'd love to know, I think the audience would love to know, what's your approach what are we doing with this podcast? And then also who are we going to hear from and, you know, sort of what ideas we're going to cover? Yeah, sure. And, and so this is why it's so great to have you, Matt, as kind of just yeah. a curious citizen um, <laughs> who eats Thanks. three times a day, sometimes less, sometimes more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So really the, at least for me, the overarching question here is when it comes to nutrition or food science, what mm-hmm. can we say with certainty and what is a matter of speculation? Okay. You know, so maybe I'll just go back a little bit to my background training. Again, it's more in the field of um, experimental medicine and then evidence-based medicine principles and health research methodology. Okay. So not dealing with nutrition specifically, but with more disease? Yeah, in in a lot of different fields. So um, 
just kind of do, I've done a lot of research on research for oh. more than 10 years. So how can we do better um, randomized control trials? How can we do better systematic reviews of the literature? Okay. How can we better measure patient outcomes or patient reported outcomes? So a lot of this kind of stuff. And what's nice about um, this background training is it's kind of cross-cutting. Yeah. It's kind of like being a biostatistician or a producer. You can kind of help a lot of different people regardless of what what their question is or what their domain is. So that's kind of sure. um, that's kind of how I see my my role. Okay. In making this podcast, the hope is to just really um, talk to some leading scientists, uh, academics, and teachers in the field of nutrition, epidemiology, and and public health, and just get some perspective. Really, like. You know, so we have a few guests lined up. Um, yeah. Dr. Dennis Beer, Dr. Gordon Guyatt, Dr. Lahana Tabani. These individuals are, Dennis is a, is a pediatrician who was the editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition for almost 12 years. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a stint. <laughs> yeah, that's a stint. So he knows lots about um, um, nutrition in general and kind of the state of the science um, okay, um, in okay. the field of nutrition. Dr. Gordon Guyatt is actually, he coined the term evidence-based medicine. Oh, wow. Um, so he's been in the field of so-called evidence-based medicine for, I think, over 30 or 35 years now. So he's kind of seen the field grow and he's really kind of operated within the scope of medicine. But mm. I think he um, his experience can provide some insights into how evidence-based medicine principles might lend themselves or do lend themselves to the field of nutrition. Okay. Um, and the question is, and we'll explore this, what's the difference between evidence-based nutrition, for example, and, yeah. and personalized nutrition? Are they the same? Are they different? And then our, our third um, guest that we'll have eventually down the line is Dr. Lahana Tabani. He's a biostatistician. Mm -hmm. He works at McMaster University, and he's he really does a lot of work in the field of clinical trials, uh, again, as a methodologist, as well as a biostatistician. And um, he's been in the field for a long time, and I'm looking forward to speaking to him about his experience uh, from a biostatistical standpoint um, mm -hmm. within the field of, me of medicine. And also, he really emphasizes in his career mentorship. And I, I do know that he mentors, he's mentored well over 100 different um, students and or trainees in, oh, wow. in different fields. So, and across and spanning many, many countries. So, I think it'll be fun to talk to him. Yeah, that's great. Sounds like some pretty smart people. <laughs> uh, so, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to hear in the future. Uh, it sounds like the way we're structuring this podcast is going to be a little more um, idea-based. You know, for example, uh, uh, you've interviewed uh, Denny already, or, or I, sh I shouldn't call him Denny. I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> you've interviewed um, <clears throat> Dr. Dennis Beer. So we're going to hear from Dr. Beer on a few different topics, but the very first one is on critical thinking. And you've said to me that that's really one of the more central ideas about this, this podcast specifically, uh, and, and super useful to your students and people that are 
looking people like you that are looking at the science. Why don't you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So uh, when I arrived um, here at Texas A&M, uh, right away, I was asked to help out or to teach to take over a course. And mm-hmm. the course was for fourth year uh, nutrition students. Um, and it was basically a course in communication and critical thinking. And okay. so we were looking at the nutrition literature and um, seeing if, you know, what the paper said, whether it was trustworthy, believable, credible, um, valid. And so I was a little reluctant to take the course on right away, but, um, once I got into it and met the students, I really, um, I really enjoyed it. And I'm doing the same this semester, although with the first year students. Yeah. And right away, I think I got the sense because I, before arriving at, at A&M, I was mostly working with either medical doctors, sometimes nurses, or just, let's say, graduate students that were working more in the field of epidemiology and biostatistics. Okay. And so, I was kind of really in a different field. Yeah. Now, all these fields kind of interrelate, but this was really my first experience um, solely in nutrition. And right away, Mm -hmm. I guess I was always somewhat aware of it, but it just struck me as there's a real need for this yeah. In the field of nutrition. And my sense was the students were enjoying the materials. I was enjoying teaching it. And I just thought, how can we kind of um, build this out a bit so that it's an asset for Texas A&M? Yeah. And, but ultimately an asset and, and something that's of high utility for the students when they graduate and especially those that go on to be a registered dietitian, you know, sure. helping them make better clinical decisions. Mm. Yeah, I think from from the perspective of the public, anytime we look at dietitians or nutritionists or people that are recommending food uh, to us for specific reasons, whether it's weight loss or health or trying to reverse a disease like diabetes, I find that from you know public uh, scrutiny of dietitians or nutritionists is very much like, well, if you've got the clinical chops then I'm much more likely to trust you. Mm-hmm. And and so maybe another part of the story of getting to this, what I perceive to be a need um, for more training and critical thinking and mm-hmm. uh, in order to improve um, clinical decision-making, uh, before or at a, around the, the time I arrived at Texas A&M, uh, my group, Nutrex, um, yeah. we just finished a large project where we made basically recommendations on red and processed meat. A hot topic. A very hot topic. And we had, a, I would say, a, a different conclusion that, than those that had come before. Okay. And there were a lot of people, I would say, that were unhappy with our saying that maybe red meat isn't the big problem that it's been made out to be. Okay. Maybe it has to do with the totality of foods that you eat in sort of a dietary pattern over the span of a week, a month, a year, 10 years, a lifetime oh, wow. um, that kind of bring one to have a higher risk of cancer or heart disease than just one food. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I just to say that um, it really caused, um, it really stirred things up. And my hmm. sense was there was a lot of pushback from maybe some of the more established um, nutrition folks in the field. Yeah. And I understand that uh, it's human nature, you know, 
we kind of don't like change a lot, um, <laughs> especially when it catches us by surprise. Yeah. Um, and so my sense was like, wow, like maybe we need to work from the grassroots up and work more with the students that are actually um, at the ground level, starting out in nutrition in order to eventually kind of help people kind of, you know, hopefully have some more intellectual curiosity and not just assume that um, these foods, for example, cause an mm -hmm. outcome like cancer or heart disease or diabetes, a single food. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. If you really take a step back and think about it, like we were saying before, working, you know, it's a lifetime, nutrition is a lifetime commitment, <laughs> you know, <laughs> from infancy to our deathbed, we are consuming food of some kind. We're getting nutrients from that food, our bodies utilizing it. And it's, you know, of course, our environment, our genetics, uh, what time of day we ate it, I'm sure has, you know, uh, uh, has something to do with it. And so, Matt, and you're touching on a bunch of things that we haven't yeah. even talked about outside of nutrition, right? Like maybe sure. it's the <laughs> amount of exercise, maybe it's your genetic kind of profile, maybe it's yeah. um, the environment that you live in. Maybe there's more pollution in your city or your region than there is in other regions. So there's there's many, many um, components that kind of, th there's a lot of complexity is probably the best way to say it to yeah. how uh, we get from A to B. Sure. So, um, but sometimes it, it, it could be the food too, right? Like there, there's, yeah. it really depends on what the question is, your research question is, what the intervention is and what you're measuring, what the outcome is. Yeah. Um, and, and then what data exists in order to help answer that question. Yeah. But just, yeah, I think the theme, uh, at least from my perspective is, is complexity. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, well, with all of that complexity, uh, uh, it seems pretty easy to me to, uh, to see that your initial approach to it is, um, crystal clean methodology, so to speak. Uh, you know, we've, we've got to approach the data in the best way that we can, and then we can be a little more, and then we can be more accurate about our terminology. You know, is it a cause? Is it, uh, and, and if so, how have we determined that we're not as careful about that vocabulary maybe as we, as we should be, you know, a, a layman such as myself might say like, oh, well, I read this study that said red meat causes blank, but, or uh, this article mentioned that red meat causes blank. Well, maybe it wasn't that it was, maybe they didn't find that it was causal. Maybe they found that it was, um, and I'm an association, an association. Thank yeah. you. Maybe it Which was is very you know, different than a, than a cause there's, you know, right. A causal relationship and an associative relationship. They're two very different things. Um, yeah. and, uh, the, that terminology does get mixed up a lot um, sure. by the media, um, sometimes by scientists, certainly by students. Um, yeah. And it's it's just um, good to explore what all of this stuff means and and explore the certainty that we can have within yeah. uh, within the complexity of the environments and the data that that we're often faced with. When we talk about associative versus causal, right? So if if the outcome is cancer. Mm -hmm, sure. Red meat is associated with cancer. Right. Drinking coffee is associated with cancer. As yeah. is, as if if you had no cigarette in your hand and yeah. you put that um, to your mouth, 
50 times a day, that's also associated with cancer. So wow. they're all associated with cancer. Okay. A better way to say it is if you have an outcome in mind like cancer and you're wondering yep. what might be the causal agent, well, is it the cigarette? Is it your hand um, moving to your mouth with the cigarette? Oh, is sure. it the red meat? Yeah. Um, is it the salt? Is it the cycling that you do every day? There's many things that are that can be associative, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're causal. Sure. So the distinction between your hand moving to your mouth and the cigarette is an important distinction. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So as you say, lots of complexity and lots of uh, lots of really interesting data to dig through. Um, I'm really excited about uh, uh, listening to uh, what uh, Dr. Beer and Dr. Guyat. Uh, Dr. Guyat and um, Dr. Uh, Tabani, am I saying that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm really interested to to hear your conversations with all of them and uh, and uh, to kind of see this podcast grow and sort of dig into um, really interesting topics like curiosity and critical thinking and methodology and other big long words that make me feel fancy like epidemiology and biostatistics. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think uh, uh, I think this is going to be a really fun podcast. Um, you know, originally you said your idea was sort of uh, that that it's meant for nutrition students and maybe junior faculty that are working in nutrition um, or epidemiology and public health. I think as a as a curious citizen, I think also it'll be really interesting for uh, anyone like myself in the public that's sort of interested, maybe more in some of the nuts and bolts about nutrition science uh, uh, and how we come to understand things uh, like uh, like how the food we eat affects us. Yeah, or how we come to believe what we believe. Um, yeah. With respect to nutrition. Great. Well, uh, uh, I'm super excited. And uh, Brad, I'm, I'm happy to be part of this podcast. I appreciate you letting me join with a microphone uh, as well. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, all the things that uh, you're going to cover with all these brilliant minds. Yeah, well, thanks, Matt. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and you've you're definitely a curious citizen, and you you have the knack for um, obviously production and sound quality. So I'm I'm looking forward to working with you on multiple levels, um, both from curiosity and from a from a production standpoint. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes of Methodology Matters, a podcast on evidence-based nutrition, please head over to methodologymatters.podbean.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Johnston and his work, you can find his faculty profile on Texas A&M University's Department of Nutrition website, or you can find him on Twitter, where his handle is at methodsnerd. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode of Methodology Matters.